0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Fall Science Podcast. This is the 88th episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I Zach Pensack am joined alongside my friend Adam Goffman. Adam, how are you doing today?
1: Fussy Zach, there is not long left to go, Fussy.
0: We are really seeing the light at the end of the proverbial proverbial footy tunnel. And Interestingly enough, this is the first time in as long as I can remember, Adam, that there's not any sort of summer tournament either.
1: That's true. Yeah, you're absolutely right there. So uh, it'll be truly a summer off for the players after what has been a crazy couple of years, to say the least. Yeah, it feels like there has
0: not been more than like five days in the last two and a half years that have gone by without some sort of massive event in world football, whether it's a game packed into a tight schedule or no games at all uh in an announcement of such so
1: you're right it is going to be
0: the first normal summer in a while for football
1: yeah it's true and and obviously we've got the world cup coming up in november so there will be some international fixtures during the summer i think you know obviously teams still left to qualify including my beloved Wales for the world cup um but I, i'm not sure i actually haven't heard how they're planning to adjust for that in the premier league do you know in in the season next season with it being kind of a month to month and a half long in November, December timeframe? They haven't confirmed anything. The last I read, they were, this is crazy. They were,
0: there were rumors that came out that the tentative plan was to only allow a week on either side of the World Cup or 10 days on either side of the World Cup as a buffer um, for the domestic league to pause, which I I cannot imagine being a professional full-time footballer and being told all you have is 10 days to get to either Qatar or your country gel with your team get you know the the game plan from your your manager and just like switch over to that mode uh that would be just ludicrous but yeah I'm not I I don't believe that they've come out with anything official on that yet
1: these are the crosses you have to bear when you decide to have the world cup in a ridiculous place and a ridiculous time as
0: well, uh, but yeah, time it is kind time, of interesting... time
1: because of the weather, exactly. Which which really ties, yeah, to yeah, the plan, yeah, right,
0: yeah. Con- con- consequently, the time, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, did you see the statement that Infantino made in an interview a couple of days ago uh, when being asked about? I think he was at some sort of uh, like FIFA dinner, or there was some public event, and he was asked about you know the the very uh, very well known deaths of migrant workers who, who were belabored to create the stadiums. Did you see this, Adam?
1: No, I didn't see it at all. Tell
0: me more. He was asked about that and he said, I'm paraphrasing here, uh, but he said M- both my parents were immigrants and back in their day, you would be an immigrant would be happy and proud to receive any sort of work. <laughs> wow. Would you it cost them their whole life? A uh, mind blowingly I, I don't even want to, Yeah, I mean, tone deaf is is like the, you know, the first kind of, uh, that that's the surface level reaction, but just a horrible thing to say, like beyond, beyond a horrible thing to say, which doesn't
1: really change any sort of public
0: opinion on the man.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, he didn't have a great reputation beforehand, and he's just solidified that now with those comments.
0: Yeah, for something a bit lighter though, because that is, you know, a, a naturally a very heavy thing to kind of think about. Uh I told Adam about this. I had a run-in with a potential World Cup participant 2 weeks ago in Denver, Colorado. Uh, let's, calm and and so, let's calm down. Let's
1: calm down. Let's calm down. What? It's, 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 yeah. I mean it's hypothetically true that he could be. It's unlikely that he will be. Um
0: He's exa- I mean. it's exactly what I just said, a potential potential a potential World Cup uh participant. That's there's no, there's All nothing right. false there Adam. Um Anyway, anyway uh, semantics aside, I was at a Denver Nuggets playoff game and was fortunate to be seated in the lower area of the arena, ball arena. And right before the game started, they had an interview with U.S. international Giazzi Zardes, uh, the striker who recently was traded to the Colorado Rapids. Uh, and they put him on the Jumbotron and were asking him, was, ask, was asking him a, a few questions about, you know, he had to play with the Rapids. Uh, you know, kind of those those token questions, and then uh, they they asked him one question that stuck out to me in particular because it 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 hinted to the fact that the person doing the interview or whoever wrote the questions might not be exactly in tune with kind of the order of events leading up to the World Cup, because as our listeners know, you know, international teams have not been solidified yet and won't be for quite a bit of time. And they asked him if he was excited about the upcoming World Cup, with the implication being because he's played for the U.S. in the past, he would be, you know, participating in the World Cup. And he gave this kind of like shake-off answer because, as we know, Giazzi is in no way is a guaranteed uh, member of the U.S. team going into the fall. Possible member, as as we said, he's played for the U.S. fairly recently, but nothing set in stone. Uh, and this all happened about 15 feet away from me. And so when they finished their interview, he walked right by me, and I just said Giazzi. and he turned around. I was like, hey, man, I really hope that you're on the plane to Qatar, and I wish you the best of luck getting there. And he nodded and smiled and was like, thanks, man, I appreciate that, and walked away. And I'd like to think that that he appreciated the fact that I knew <laughs> that there was no sense that he was a guaranteed participant in the World Cup, which was the implication by uh, the lovely lady giving the interview. So that was my run-in with a potential World Cup participant. Well, you sounds like you should have been given the interview, Zach. Eh? I know. I, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, I know that Piazzi Zardes is a potential participant in the World Cup, but there's there's nothing solidified as of now. I mean, who knows, though? The U.S. has had a lot of issues with strikers, um, and crazier things yep. can happen.
1: Yep. Can't be any worse than Josh Sargent, that's for sure. Ooh, Josh Sargent is, is not the guy who will be on the plane unless he <laughs> unless he kills it in the championship
0: next year. Uh, but anyway, enough from my my glory, my 15 minutes of of fame in my own head adam we do have a lot to talk about today in premier league and european football as a whole so much is is going down and we are we're at crunch time uh four or three games left in the premier league season for most clubs uh, with only aston villa and uh, leeds united uh, actually in leicester city as well uh, with one less game or one more game to play there they're at uh, 33 games played so we are really getting very close
1: yeah, we sure are what they call they call squeaky bum time as well uh, in the Premier League. So excited to see how the, the last few match days will pan out. There is a lot to play for. So there is indeed, and that will be
0: as as expected, the large, a large majority of our podcast today um, will be running through, you know, the, the current status of the Premier League as we come around the final corner, uh, looking at our our final predictions, our, our last minute predictions of, of what's going to happen. And then, of course, we'll we'll touch upon what took place in the Champions League over the last couple of days, uh, actually the last couple of weeks, um, but the semifinals, both of those legs having taken place and, and setting up for an exciting final this month. So before we get
1: started, Adam, EPL trivia, do you have something good today? You know, I do. I actually changed it up a little bit, though, because in honor of a couple of teams, we're not going to really get into that this episode, but confirm that Fulham... And Bournemouth have secured the two automatic playoff, uh, excuse me, automatic promotion spots in the championship with Fulham securing the league already. So they are going up as champions. Wanted to kind of pivot over to an EFL trivia for you today, Zach, if you're down for it. Love it. All right. So the question is, it's very simple. Which team has the record points haul ever in the championship? All right.
0: I think I know the answer,
1: but you may, you, you may or may not know the answer, so we'll we'll find out.
0: <laughs> that that is true. That is that is definitely true. We'll have a clue I'll give you in an... the middle of the podcast. Yep,
1: I give you Sorry. early clue. It is not Newcastle. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was mm-hmm. Newcastle. And there you go. They they actually are in third third highest ever points total in the championship. Oh, mm-hmm. Interesting, because I I know that we are the last club to break a hundred. Right? Is that correct? Um, I, we certainly did break a hundred. I don't know if there's been anyone since, and it won't happen this season. full them are on 90 points and they have a game to go. There it is. All right. Well, we will, we'll will dig a bit more into that, uh,
0: that question in a little bit, but before then let's talk about the primary League, Adam, the relegation Indeed. battle heating Indeed.
1: up. I, I want to kind of talk about the relegation battle. Um, and I, what I'd love to do here is, um, I'll tell you the games that we have left to play for each of the three teams that are in contention for 18th spot. Before we get into that, though, let's confirm Norwich already officially relegated. Watford a point above them, pretty much a dead cert at this point, um, especially having lost to Burnley over the weekend, a team that they were trying to claw back points on. So let's call it 20th and 19th locked up with Norwich and Watford. Yep. Some, agree. some variation of those two teams, whether it's 19th or 20th. Uh, And then 18th is really left to play for. So the three teams that we're considering remaining for potential 18th spot are Burnley, Leeds United, and Everton. Let's kind of give you a lay of the land here. Uh, We are not including in that, in 15th spot, Southampton, who are on 40 points. We're only including Burnley, Leeds, and Everton, who are on 34, 34, and 32 points, respectively. Uh, One team you actually missed when you were talking about teams that had five games to play is Everton. Uh, They do have a game in hand over both Burnley and Leeds. Um, So obviously, if they win that game in hand, they would leapfrog both of those two teams. If they were to draw it or lose it, they would stay in 18th spot. So, Zach, with that in mind, I'm going to go through each of the three teams. I'm going to ask you for your points predictions uh, or or your kind of match predictions for those games. Um, And then I will do the math for you and figure out where you think each of these teams will land come the end of the season. you ready for this? sure let's do it so no thinking about in terms of like points where they are right now don't look at the league table I just want your gut prediction of how this will pan out for each team. so Burnley remaining have four fixtures they have Villa at home, Spurs away, Villa away and Newcastle at home. I'd love for you to one by one just kind of tell me your win loss draw predictions on those remaining games how did they have villa twice in three matches rearrange fixture because of um games that were called off with the COVID outbreak uh, so, yeah. oh that's right
0: okay um so sorry you're asking how many points i think they can get from those four
1: yeah give me give me your kind of game by game predictions villa home spurs sure. away villa away newcastle home uh i think they get points from
0: I think they get points from two of those matches, and I think they're both against Aston Villa. Um, uh, Actually, I could see them getting points from all of those matches except for Newcastle. I think Newcastle will beat them at Turf Moor on the final day, but Villa has been free-falling in the latter half of the year. Uh, That's something, actually, that um, I I wish I put in in my talking points for today. Maybe if we have some time, we can talk about it a little bit. so yeah, I think they get a point against Villa at home. I think they probably get a point against Villa away. And I, I I could see them getting a point against Spurs away. And the only reason I say that is because Spurs has a lot of issues with teams that, for lack of a better words, kind of pack it in, right? That that park that bus and and play that super deep compact uh, style of football. They, you know, Spurs for a lot that they've done well this year haven't really been able to kind of unlock that type of puzzle. They play some of the best, I would say open kind of free-flowing football of any team in the league but it's it's those teams where you have to play that possession style and, and break them down that they have trouble so yeah i could see brinley getting i think they could get three to four points from their final four matches
1: where are you going to hang your hat there three or four points ask you for coming i okay. there
0: I'll, I'll go with four points I, I think they get four points
1: so draws for the four remaining fixtures okay Uh, Mike Jackson, not loving that prediction from Zach, by the way, having, you know, not been undefeated in his first four games as Burnley manager and winning three on the spin in the last three games. Um, But still undefeated is what you're predicting through the end of the season. So I guess he would like that somewhat.
0: No, I don't. think they lose to Newcastle at home, but I think they get four points from the last
1: four fixtures. I see. So you're saying some combination of the three games preceding would be four games. Got it. So even worse for Mike Jackson. Poor Mike Jackson. All right, Leeds. Um, remaining fixtures, Zach. Arsenal away, Chelsea at home, Brighton at home, Brentford away. Yeah, so Leeds are the team
0: that a lot of people are looking at right now and saying that they are in the most trouble, I think, despite the fact that they are currently not in the relegation zone. Partially because Everton does have that game in hand and they're coming off their biggest win of the season against Chelsea. Uh, I mean, it is a tough run of fixtures. Arsenal. Uh, playing quite well and having a lot still to play for. Same with Chelsea needing to end that season on a high note after they've faltered a bit recently. Uh, I, I think the best opportunities for leads come in those final two matches for obvious reasons. Brighton, and Brentford—the lower two clubs of those four in the table. Brighton, another team that's had a really poor overall second half of the year, although they've picked it up a bit recently. And Brentford, uh, a team that is a little bit inconsistent. Uh, I, I'd say from these four fixtures. Hmm. I see Leeds getting, let's see, I think they can get four points. I think they can, they'll lose to Arsenal, they'll lose to Chelsea, but I think they can beat Brighton at home. Uh, I think Ellen Road will be on fire for that match, and Mm -hmm. uh, I think they can get a point against Brentford uh, away at the Brentford Community Stadium.
1: Okay. So four points for Leeds as well. Okay, finally then Everton, uh, five games remaining for them. Leicester away, Watford away, Brentford at home, Palace at home, and Arsenal away. Uh, Second team of those three teams to have to face Arsenal and and Brentford, I guess, in in their final fixtures. So for Everton, five games left. How many points do you see them getting from those remaining games?
0: it's it's tough we saw a completely new everton against chelsea on the weekend playing compact football playing disciplined i hate to say it but jordan pickford had one of the best single game performances i've seen a keeper have this year he sure did absolutely absolutely stood on his head richarlison was a man possessed up there getting their their one goal uh and potentially posing for the most iconic photo of the season which was him throwing a flare back into the crowd at the end of the game a pretty pretty epic picture uh, that being said, I think they're going match by match here, Adam. They're they're getting Leicester at the wrong time. Leicester is is finally healthy. They're still competing in Europe uh, for that Conference League title, uh, and I think that they're not going to get a point away at Leicester. Um, Watford away is at, undoubtedly the one that you know has the most circles on the calendar. Watford, as you said, is is pretty much dead and buried at this one. I think Everton can get at least a point there, probably three. And then Brentford home, Palace home, and Arsenal away. I don't see them beating Palace. I don't see them beating Arsenal uh, because I think that Arsenal will still have something to play for on that final day. And Patrick Vieira has done a phenomenal job with Palace uh, this season, although uh, they have slipped up a little bit recently. So of these five matches, uh, I'll say a win against Watford and a win against Brentford at home, uh, giving them a total of, six points from the remaining five fixtures.
1: very very interesting sir so if your predictions were to pan out you would have burnley leeds and everton all finishing on exactly the same points total of 38 so that brings it down to the goal differential my friend which currently sits at burnley negative 15 everton negative 20 and leeds united negative 34. there is very unlikely to be anything that really upsets the apple cart there in terms of Leeds being the team likely with the worst goal difference by the end of the season.
0: Yeah, and that's the unfortunate part is I I truly think that Jesse Marsh has done a phenomenal job with Leeds, just comparing him to how poor their season was before it. You know, we, we've talked a lot about, you know, the, the iconic status that Marcelo Vils has at that club and rightly so, but I think that he put them, he, he put you know, whoever was going to take over after him at a huge disadvantage with how open their defense has been this season, um, and really forever under him, but particularly this year, having lost, you know, Liam Cooper, Calvin Phillips, and Patrick Bamford, that spine of the team. So yeah, I mean, based on those predictions, leads uh, would go down the team of the three. I, I least want to see go down, but, um, yeah, I've been saying for a while that Everton gets relegated and, and that win against Chelsea, I think will change things. So
1: That's yeah. Yeah. Huge confidence booster for them, for sure. um On my end, um, just for for what it's worth, I Please, had Burnley yeah. on on, on forty one points. I have Everton on thirty nine points, and I have Leeds on thirty eight points. So exactly the same for Leeds, and very close with Everton. I just see, yeah, uh, in those three fixtures in the middle, Everton potentially picking up seven points instead of six against the Watford, Brentford, and Palace games. I think that would be totally. reasonable to say to say they could do that, and then I think Burnley continues to be successful. No reason to think that they couldn't beat Newcastle on the last day of the season. Um, Turf Moore is turning into somewhat of a fortress recently since Mike Jackson came in. And I do want to give him a massive shout out. A lot of people criticized the um, Sean Dyche sacking. Um, you know, obviously the way it went down, the timing of it, I think it was not looked on favorably by anybody. But it, I mean, it looks like it could turn into somewhat of a masterstroke bringing in their under 23s guy, Mike Jackson, to come in who kind of knows the team knows the setup um obviously is a is a good coach um has the players on on side and you know they lost Jay Rodriguez in the warm up before the game against Watford and they still came through they brought in Vidra he's in a good little run of form as well and uh,
0: brought yes, Jack yeah. Cork
1: back in just um really very very impressive and Burnley doing what Burnley does and turning it on when they need to um nine sorry 10 points from 12 uh, in the last four games so super super good time to go on a run right Absolutely,
0: yeah. Interesting that our predictions are are fairly similar there, but yeah, we will we will see what happens. I I agree that Everton could get a point from all three of those middle three games, so it, it will be interesting to see if they can take advantage of having a game in hand. Something that it isn't always as much of an advantage as you might think.
1: True that. All right, where are we going next, Zach? All right, uh,
0: so one talking point that I have that, that we can nicely transition into, Adam, is I, I'd love to have a, a little chat with you here, um, kind of kind of in the spirit of end-of-season awards, but but predating this a little bit. So at the end of every season, the teams who have the most disappointing seasons are undoubtedly and objectively the three teams who get relegated. And I know that there could be an argument made of if a team, you know, uh, like, for example, Liverpool in the year that they kind of blew that title hunt—what uh, was it, 2014? That that might be a, a contender for you know one of the more disappointing seasons that somebody's had recently. But ultimately, and I I will not take an argument here, the the three teams with the worst and the most disappointing seasons are the three who will no longer be participating in the Premier League next season. That being said, Adam, uh, if we look at the league right now with you know three to five matches remaining, I'd love to hear from you on your opinion as to other than those three teams currently in the relegation zone, who do you believe has had the most disappointing season in the league
1: so far? I gave this a lot of thought, probably more thought than I than I should have, um, and you're not going to like my answer. I'll, I'll start with that, um, and I'll add the caveat that this team has already won a trophy this season and could still win another trophy this season. Um The question, of course, though, is who has been the most disappointing team outside of the bottom three in the league this season? My answer is Leicester City. Now, I know Mm. that there have been injury problems there. um, Currently in the league, they sit in 11th spot. And pretty much every season that I can remember for the last four to five years, we have been talking about the capitulation of Leicester City dropping out of the top four and Sneaking into the Europa League every season, they are nowhere near that right now. In fact, they are twenty-one points off of fourth spot in the league going into their final five games of the season. And in this season, they've actually lost more games than they've won, which is a first for them in many, many seasons. Now, I think I think you could certainly make the argument. You've already said it on the pod today that they've suffered from some bad injuries this season. They've they've struggled to get their best eleven on the field, but I think they're also really have, they're, they're understanding now that they need to move on from Jamie Vardy in the longer term. He hasn't been fit for good portions of, of the season. I don't think they've quite got it figured out yet. I gave Pat Sindaka a shout at the beginning of the season um, as my player, uh, as my potential young player of the season or signing of the season. I forget which one it was, but I I certainly kind of praised him highly. And he's had flashes of that. I think he's had moments where, you know, he scored four goals in one of their European games, which was, which was awesome. Um, but they haven't quite figured it out yet. And they've struggled to get James Madison on the field at the same time as Harvey Barnes. Um, and I think that's been another problem for them, but, you know, we've, we've said at numerous points through this season, and I've said, is Brendan Rogers fireable from that role? Like, would they ever consider getting rid of him? And you've, you've come back and you've said no, but, I don't know. I mean, 42 points at this stage in the season after 33 games is, is pretty poor for a Leicester team who really should be doing better than that in my eyes. It's not a bad shout as much as I, as much as I
0: don't want to hear it. I I don't think that's a bad shout, uh, by any means. I, I think you're, you know, very entitled to, to make that call because you're right. It has been a very disappointing season. And, uh, I think, um, the, the one reason that I, I will, not to beat a dead horse, because you, you made this point, this concession, but the one reason that I, I don't think that in my mind, Leicester can be in that running is the the heavy injuries that they had. It, it it was only last month, and I remember watching this game in the Premier League. I, I, I failed to remember who their opponent was, but just last month was the first match in the Premier League this season where they had their entire back line as they wanted it on week one starting in the same Premier League game. And I, I don't think that that can necessarily be overstated is having mm-hmm. you know such important players drop out. Uh, Daniel Marte dropped out uh, for considerable amount of time. Wesley Fafana, a guy who's being tabbed as you know kind of the next great uh, center back coming out of Leicester going into the season, he was out for the majority of the year. And then they've had injuries up and down the team. You said Vardy, James Madison has missed time. Harvey Barnes. James Justin as time. well was a, was a big James one for them. Right. I was gonna say going back to the back line, mm-hmm. James Justin as well. So uh I, I I see your point. I don't like heavily disagree, but I, I think that the the injuries have have made it disappointing in a different way. I guess what I meant is disappointing in, in their performance rather than you know where they're at right now if we if we put aside the injuries.
1: But I think that's yeah. My point. I think you know, just just looking at it objectively, um, when you eyeball the table in terms of where teams are at. Um, the teams that you would expect to be competing at the top end of the league are competing at the top end of the league. The teams you'd expect to be down at the bottom, say for Everton, but Everton are in the relegation places right now, to your point, are down where yep. you'd expect them to be. The only real outlier I see there is, is Leicester. Um, so I'm curious to hear hear your answer for for this question. I'll, I'll tee you up nicely here.
0: Sure. So uh, I took this a bit differently in the sense of I didn't necessarily look at a team that has dropped considerably in the the table standings year over year. But the uh, the team that I have tabbed for my most disappointing uh, performer of the year is Aston Villa, Adam. Aston Villa, the Birmingham club. Uh, and, and the reason for this is if we do look at the table right now, Villa sitting in 13th, they ended last season in 11th. So again, not a huge difference there. But I think it was a very, very exciting time for Aston Villa in last summer, despite the fact that they sold their talisman, Jack Grealish, uh, the reinvestment into the club. And I remember we talked about this in, in one of our podcasts at the end of last summer, uh, the the swift and strategic nature of that reinvestment. I believe it was a three-week period after the sale of Grealish went through that they had spent all of the money that they had recouped for him, buying uh pretty much entirely that money being spent on Leon Bailey, Danny Ings, and Emiliano uh, Buendia from Nard City. And we we look at a team that at the moment has regressed, uh, having sold one player and bought three talents that a lot of people thought would continue help them continue their push up the table. Buendia seems quite a bit out of form. I'd argue Danny Ings has potentially been the most disappointing signing of last summer in the entire Premier League. He looks completely off the pace. Uh, and then Liam Bailey has uh, at times rarely featured for that club. Another player has had considerable amount of injuries, but even when he has featured, has not been terribly impactful. Uh, and then the final thing there, they got that new manager bump that a lot of teams get when they hired Steven Gerrard. It looked like you know a brilliant signing, as well as getting Philippe Coutinho from Barcelona. But all of that has cooled off in recent weeks, uh, weeks despite picking up a win on the weekend Villa uh, was was winless in their last five prior to that. Uh, Coutinho is, as he has his whole career, been finding that injury bug. And a lot of questions I, I think are being raised on, you know, does Steven Jarrett really have it as a manager? Because Villa is really not looking like there's a lot of cohesion or identity at the moment. So yeah, Aston Villa, my most disappointing team of the season.
1: Yeah, no, I, I I see why you could make an argument there. I think to to stephen gerrard's credit he he certainly righted the ship when he came in initially um i think it was a horrific start to the season under dean smith um and i think that's largely to blame just as steve bruce was at newcastle for for the terrible start that they had there but yes sure form form has slipped off um i think net spend wasn't huge for villa and i don't think that necessarily he's had the chance to really make his mark yet as a coach at Villa um, in terms of the the players that he's been able to bring in, the type of player that he's been able to bring in. Yes, they brought in um, Luca Dina, but he's had injury issues since he's come in. He's been struggling with um, with fitness issues there. Um, so I think that there's there's more to come from Stephen Gerrard at Aston Villa. I think he'll have a better season next season with a full um, summer to prepare and, and a chance to bring in some of his own signings because you know they will put money into it. Villa are that are that team right now that will that will certainly give financial backing to their managers. Um, but yeah, that's that's my take. I could see I could kind of also I, I'm right there with you as you were with Leicester City. I could see why you would say that. I don't know that I necessarily agree though. There we
0: go. That is balance on the podcast right there, Adam. That's that's it, good discourse.
1: <laughs> indeed. I never thought I'd find myself defending Aston Villa, Zach, but here we are. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I never thought I'd find myself saying that Jordan Pickford had one of the best
0: performances I've seen in the Premier League this year, but we're we are at that place as well, unfortunately.
1: Oh, the humility, Zach. Oh, the humility. Oh, the humility, indeed.
0: So, Adam, I, I do want to go over my second talking point here before we, we dive into the Champions League, which I know you wanted to to chat about uh, a bit this evening. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was listening to uh, some some commentary in the Premier League. I, I think it was, I believe it was this past weekend, if not the one before. It was quite recent. And Gary Lineker, a, a man that I think we all we both respect his opinion quite a bit. I think he's one of the better commentators that that you know you have around the Premier League. Uh, he he made a pretty audacious statement. Out of him. Some would some would call it an armchair punditry. I personally would call it. That and I think that Gary Lineker would agree as a uh, as a potential front of the pod uh, no and, no and England and England international. And he said he he I, he didn't stake his name to this claim uh, strategically. So a coy and shrewd move by him as a commentator. But he kind of begged the question: Is is are we currently looking at the greatest Premier League season that has ever happened in the uh, thirty years of the Premier League? And the case that he made for this this hypothesis or or this question was was fairly simple. he He stated, and and you know, this is true, this is one of the few years in recent memory where there is there are things happening at all ends of the table. that we have a a title race that is separated by one point uh, between two teams that I, I think are are pretty unanimously unanimously considered to be two of the best teams in the history of English football in this year's Manchester City. And Liverpool. Uh, And then below that, you have a two-point gap between Spurs and Arsenal for the fourth Champions League spot. Uh, Not only that, but a a spot that could be um, decided in the North London derby, which is occurring in just eight days from reporting. It'll be the third to last match of the season. And, you know, based on other results around the league, uh, potentially Arsenal could go, uh, away with the, uh, be, be far and away having won that match. If, if they, uh, again, if, if results go elsewhere. And then finally, as we've talked about a lot today, we have three teams who are all separated by two points for the third relegation fight. So a real scrap and one of those teams being Everton, a team that's never been relegated from the Premier league. So Adam, do you think this might be the best Premier
1: league season we've ever seen? you could certainly make an argument for it i mean um like you said things going on at both ends of the table and that race for the top four as well yeah i could i could see i could see why you could make that argument um interesting thing i was reading today on on this topic is newcastle's remaining three fixtures are manchester city away arsenal at home and burnley away so newcastle could potentially have a say in all three of these areas (laughs) that's interesting i did not i did not realize that yep so um obviously with manchester city with going for the title top four with arsenal and then burnley hopefully by then will be will be safe but may be playing for something in the final game of the season so lots lots still to play for here and you know i i've certainly been very interested and you know i think as a fan you kind of go through spells during the the Premier League season where you're more or less interested. I could not be more interested right now. There's just like, I'm I'm watching it fairly religiously over each weekend and trying to catch the midweek games if I can. Um, And it's, it's just been fascinating to watch. So yeah, Gary Lineker, not a bad shout there, sir.
0: Yeah. I, I like that. I, I like that Newcastle could and will have some sort of hand in, in all three of those, uh, those kind of, uh, I guess, competitions or, or areas of focus that we just talked about. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the the only other year that immediately comes to mind for me is is the Leicester City title win, and I think in a very different way, right? That was not a year that we remember by any means for who got relegated or who made the Champions League, but for one, solitary and historic reason.
1: The other great thing I would say is, you know, in the three major European competitions, we still have EPL representation in all three um so that really kind of adds to the intrigue um again it's not necessarily to do with the premier league itself but to to have english teams represented so deep in the tournament i think is a a great thing
0: yeah it's yeah it's exactly it's not technically premier league but but it is premier league in the sense that that is the reason that they're all there is they compete the same league and that league elevates their
1: you know the quality of their play so exactly yep so Great, great transition, which takes us into our final talking point. Then, Zach, let's talk Champions Absolutely.
0: League. Killing the transitions today. This is a rare. This is a
1: rare occurrence. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, for those that have been living under a rock for the last couple of weeks, uh, let's kind of give a quick high level of how we got to where we are at the end of the day today, as we record here on Wednesday, May the fourth, be with you, Zach. Uh, Liverpool, Villarreal. Um, was the first of the two semifinals decided yesterday. And then the second one was Manchester City versus Real Madrid. First leg um, at Anfield, fairly comfortable 2-0 Liverpool win. Second leg, a lot more to write home about. A tale of two halves, you would say. 2-0 advantage for Villarreal at half time, tying it back at 2-2 on aggregate. Um, and then Liverpool making some changes both tactically and from a personnel standpoint at halftime, running out three, two winners by the end of the tie. Let's let's start there with Liverpool making it through to the final. Um, a shaky little moment there for them in the first half yesterday's game at Villarreal, but all in all, fairly comprehensive, fairly comfortable win um come the end of the night.
0: Yeah, you 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 wondered would we see the the Cinderella story continue? I think it was two goals within the first fifteen minutes uh, in that uh, for Villarreal in that game, uh, and yeah, I mean they were they were at home, they were bossing the the tempo. Liverpool looked really out of sorts, but credit has to be given to to Jurgen Klopp as you said, rotating the squad at halftime, which takes a lot of balls in, in any situation, uh, obviously. Uh, not terribly frequent that a player gets subbed out at half if, you know without an injury or, or something of the sort but yeah I, I think that I, I was really really excited to see how that came down and then Liverpool really kind of put the clamp on the game in the second half so it's the sign of a team that that knows kind of how to get results and they did what they had to do in that game
1: they absolutely did yeah and to your point it's not it's a it's not a bad problem to have is it really to be able to take off diogo jota and bring on luis diaz right <laughs> that's a that's some that, nice buddy. squad depth right there um I, I would make a case as well um luis diaz has been for me one of the signings of the season has completely transformed a liverpool team who at one point was double digits back from manchester city in the league and now are just a point behind them has come in and really kind of given this attack a different threat Um, has been has been a a top class player since he's he's come in Um, I've been I've been super impressed with him and to your point also Klopp's rotation in the team has been has been really commendable as well you know he hasn't necessarily always had Firmino available to start but I think there've been times where he's been a healthy scratch as well seem to be moving on a little bit from Firmino and looking more towards Jota and Diaz in in the future I think those four um, with Mane and, and Salah, of course, look like they're going to be the four that are going to be rotating in and out the most in the future.
0: Yeah, yeah. And obviously, uh, much has been talked about in regards to Firmino, Salah, and Mane all having contracts that expire at the end of next season. But I agree with you. At least one season of that four-man rotation does look like it's it's on the horizon.
1: Yep. So the um the other game uh in this other semi-final was um no less entertaining. Uh, Manchester City versus Real Madrid. So last week uh, we went to the Etihad. Uh, Manchester City had a phenomenal first half but went in only at 2-1 with a 2-1 advantage in that game. Continued to extend their lead, continued to get claw back, clawed back and some might say that Real Madrid were fortunate to get away with a 4-3 loss. In that game, um, really, honestly, could have been about four or five nothing to Manchester City at halftime um, in that in that opening fixture. But alas, they didn't. Four three was the result, and we went back to the Bernabeu today um, for what was uh, a truly captivating game. Just the complete opposite game in terms of how it all panned out. Much more cagey defensive affair. Manchester City defending very, very well. Um, the last clean sheet in the Champions League for any away team at the Bernabeo. Happened um, 11 years ago. It was Barcelona in a 2-0 win um, at the Bernabeu, Messi scoring both goals in that game. And for um, 90 minutes, really, Manchester City looked like they were on course to kind of um, break that record and, and, be the, and be the most recent team to do so. Unfortunately, that's not how it panned out. We had a wonder strike for Riyad Mahrez with about 20 minutes to go. A beautiful left-footed shot into the top right-hand corner. And then we had a ball cleared off the line uh, with about ten minutes to go from Jack Grealish's attempt, and you just kind of thought, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe there's still something more to to say here. Two goals in injury time, first time this has ever happened um, in the Champions League by the same player, Rodrigo, um, who who really had a uh, a great game after coming on. Came on with about thirty minutes to go in the game, clawed back Real Madrid to take it to um, to take it to extra time. Of course, we have no away goals in the Champions League this season, and about five minutes into the first period of extra time, a, um, I think a right a, a justified penalty uh, was given um, for a foul on Karim Benzema, who picked up the ball and duly dispatched it for a 3-1 victory and a 6-5 on aggregate victory for Real Madrid. Could you get a crazier couple of games uh, between those two for Manchester City and Real Madrid? What a, What a game for the neutral. I've I've
0: heard a few people say recently that the the opinion that the Champions League semi-final is oftentimes better than the Champions League final because you have the same, pretty much the same quality that you would have in a Champions League final, but over the course of two legs with, you know, a lot riding on whatever happens in the first leg affecting the play in the second leg and a little bit of this kind of perhaps more uh, dramatization of what's going on. Uh, This. These were, a, in a combination of two matches between the same clubs over a week, this was some of the best football I've ever seen in my entire life. Just pure, dripping entertainment, even in this game that, uh, as as you said, only had three goals in normal time. It was end-to-end the entire match. Uh, so, yeah, just some incredible, incredible football. Uh, but, I mean, you look at this and the, the tie was in Manchester City's hands. It was in Manchester City's hands in that first game when they you know, probably should have won by a higher uh, scoreline, it was in Manchester City's hands even before the Riyad Mahrez goal as they still had that goal advantage. And even more so, with only 13 minutes remaining, all they had to do was keep a two-goal lead and they were unable to do so. Uh, interestingly enough, Adam, one note is that if away goals still were in effect, Manchester City wouldn't even have had an extra time. They would have been done at the end of normal time, with man with mm-hmm. Real Madrid having scored three away goals, uh, and then yeah, a stone wall penalty in extra time. What a, uh, I you know, every player has moments like this, but a horrible, horrible moment for Ruben Diaz. A, a tackle that I I have no idea really why he made it. Kareem Benzema was going away from goal and, and didn't seem to be a danger in that moment, but a, a clear penalty. Karim about probably the most informed player in the world right now, uh, after panayka Ederson in that first game, putting it away in the corner of the net this time. Uh, and yeah, another European choke job by Manchester City and Pep Guardiola. I mean, how does this stain his legacy? Because this, it's a brutal one. It might be the worst of all of them.
1: Yeah. I, one of my questions for you is what now for Pep? Yeah. Um, oh. It's a tough one. Klopp just signed a two-year extension this week. I don't know if you saw that. He's going to be sticking around for, for another couple seasons. I don't see Pep going anywhere necessarily, but to your point, you know, this is this is painful for him every season. This is the big one for City and their fans. This is the one that they want to win. Um, Josh, friend of the pod, made the comment uh today that maybe if Pep wants to win a Champions League, he should come manage Newcastle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> A little bit of a little bit of poking fun there at our uh, yeah. our Saudi Arabian neighbors, uh, but yeah, I mean, just a a, a tough one for him to kind of um, have to stomach because, again, to your point, so many opportunities for them to wrap this tie up, um, and they failed to do it on multiple occasions.
0: Yeah, just brutal. And as you mentioned before, like even before the Rodrigo goals, Grealish could have had two. In that match, uh you know the the first goal he did round the keeper and and put a ball in that that looked like it was going over and a really brilliant goal line save. so maybe not necessarily on him there, but the second one uh, a, a a fantastic save by Thibaut courtois kind of tipping it with his foot around the post. um and yeah, it just it, moments of madness for Manchester City and as you said you you have to do you do have to give credit to Rodrigo uh, coming off the bench um getting two really nice goals. The second goal, the header, unbelievable. It was a header that was deflected before it got to him, and somehow in the same motion, he was still able to clean a clean header uh, past Ederson. That was something unbelievable. Uh, But yeah, I mean, it is is wild to look at this team. I, I don't think that Pep Guardiola will stay there as long as Klopp. Klopp's extension, I believe, is keeping him there until 2026, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think Pep Guardiola has pretty much said that next season will probably be his last at Manchester City regardless. A lot of people thinking that he'll go manage the Spanish national team or a national team after that, but it, it's, it's a brutal one. I mean, again, it was in their hands and they, for lack of better words, threw it all away. Um, unfortunately, Manche- Real Madrid just can't be beat right now. And I think that's yeah. another thing that's important to talk about is, you know, we, we now have this this tantalizing final of Liverpool and Real Madrid. So many ways to argue either side, but uh, my, my roommate Noah made a comment to me before I started recording tonight that in the same way uh, that there are certain teams that seem to never be able to, to keep a lead in the 90th minute, they always concede at the death. Um, unfortunately, his favorite club, Bristol City, is one of those clubs this year. It seems like Real Madrid might be the opposite. They, they cannot... They cannot be beaten. They can't. They always find a way to score that last-minute goal that keeps
1: them in a tie. What if, paint this picture for you in the final, we get down to brass tacks, he comes off the bench, Sir Gareth Bale scores the (laughs) winning goal in his last game for Real Madrid, flips off the Real Madrid fans, rides off into the sunset, doesn't even hold the trophy, and just kind of pieces out and that's the last image that we have of the champions league is gareth Bale flipping oh, off his own real madrid fans i love that
0: i love that narrative unfortunately the better question to adam is will gareth bale be at the champions league final and i don't <laughs> think with the i don't think with confidence either of us could say yes because either he won't be invited or he will just not be terribly interested to watch his club play
1: yeah he would he would uh yeah his his fitness is always a question for Real Madrid and never in question for Wales. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He he does it right. But yeah. So, so going on to the final, then
0: Adam, uh, Liverpool, Real Madrid, what do you think, I guess, what do you think are the, Will what do you think will be the things that will decide this tie? And, and how do you think it'll end?
1: Um, I see it being a very kind of attacking open game. Um, I see it being—I want to say a goal fest—but I, I do see a lot of goals in this game. And I think the keys to the game will be, you know, can Liverpool stifle that um, attack? And specifically, Vinicius—I think he's been—he's been a great player. I think a lot of the credit has been given to Benzema for the goals, but he just opens up so much for that team. I think he's a top-class player and, and certainly going to be an amazing player to watch for the next ten plus years. So I think if they can stifle that um, and they can get Ford um, on the wings, if they can get Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold involved in terms of their crosses into the box, in terms of their um, their impact on the game, I think Liverpool have a chance here. Um, the very depressing stat that I read is in modern-day football, since it became the UEFA Champions League, Real Madrid have been in seven finals and they have won seven finals. So um, this is a a tough team to beat and um once we are able to get past the semi final they are generally unstoppable in, in modern day times that said i'm going to go on a limb here and i'm going to say 3-2 to liverpool in the final wow i like that i like the the line of logic there uh i
0: think the the one other thing that i would mention as an important uh kind of subplot or aspect of this match is the goalkeeping situation for for both teams uh, courtois This season in particular, I think, has reestablished himself among the top, top tier of the European elite. Uh, He just had a a phenomenal game today. Beat at the front post, as you said, for that Mares goal. But I I think that there pretty much wouldn't be a, a goalkeeper stopping that shot. And otherwise, he, as I mentioned, made a number of key saves throughout that game. Whereas Allison, despite the fact that Liverpool continues to cook in the league and obviously is now in the Champions League final, Allison continues to show these moments of uh, of kind of rash decision making against uh, Villarreal. He came wildly out of net for one of their goals, and we we've seen a few instances recently where he seems to kind of have that brief blip of uh, uh, insanity, if you will, on the pitch. So. I think with as you said, this game probably being as attacking as we will hope, goalkeeping is going to be of the utmost importance. And in that sense, I, I think right now I would give the edge to Real Madrid. Uh Adam, I will say this game is going to go into extra time on a two-two score line and go two penalties. And for for better or for worse, Real Madrid will be winning this on a Kareem Benzema penalty to cap off uh, one of the one of the best seasons that I've seen a player have in recent memory and put him in the firm lead above Muhammad Salah in the uh, Ballon d'Or
1: race going into the latter half of the year. Kareem Benzema, who recently in a game missed two penalties in the same game. You're going for the win game winning penalty.
0: Missed two penalties in the same game and recovered by scoring a penalty in each leg of the Champions League semifinal,
1: mm-hmm. including, mm-hmm. including a the that is that is a fact um but we will, i guess we will see so uh, i am certainly going to be rooting for for liverpool in that game i don't know where your allegiance lies there
0: i it'll be it'll be for liverpool as well i i was a little bit more indifferent about this semifinal because i i don't particularly like manchester city um and despite also not really liking real madrid uh i found myself just wanting an entertaining match which we did see but uh yeah i would like i would like liverpool to win this match but I mean, these are two of the most entertaining teams in football. I'd rather I'd rather have a 5-4 Real Madrid win than a 1-0 Liverpool win as a neutral.
1: Yeah, I can see that. Fair enough. All right. Well, we will see how that pans out here on May the 28th. All right. Um, okay. So then before we go to the commercial break, then, Zach, I will give you your first clue for EFL trivia for the week. Again, you think you know the answer. Let's see if this solidifies it. Which team has the record points haul ever in the championship? Here's your first clue. This team achieved the feat in 2007, and they got a total of 106 points. 2007. Okay. I have a general idea of
0: who was probably in the championship at that time, but there's not necessarily a club that that sticks out to me. Was that a year or two years before Newcastle got relegated?
1: Mm, Don't remember specifically. Um, but one more clue to come here. So, Got it. Cool. Sounds good. All right. We'll be back after a word from the sponsors. We're back with the second
0: half of episode 88 of the False Nines podcast. Adam, it's armchair punditry time. Do you want to go first or second there?
1: I'll go first this week if you don't mind. All right, I don't. All right, well then, um, I'm going to go for the Homer pick here. You're going to like this one, Eddie Howe for manager of the season.
0: Ah, oh, I love it. I love it. Yep. I've, been, yep. I've been, I've been, my my uh, my insistence on that has gone from joking to
1: to more serious over recent weeks. So I like this <laughs> from you. I mean, you, you know all the stats, but for listeners, I'll kind of give you kind of quick overview. Uh, Newcastle will become the only team ever to have not won a game in their first 14 games, um, winning their 15th game against Burnley back in November, to potentially being safe. Um, although mathematically not possible, uh, not not confirmed at this point, it's very probable, I should say, that Newcastle are safe at this point in their season. Um, in general, I feel like he's brought the feel-good factor back to St James's Park, and I think most importantly. Not only did he help with the recruitment in January because we didn't have somebody in a director of football role, so he was rolling up his sleeves and getting involved in that. He invested the money very wisely on the right type of player. Um, In hindsight, couldn't have done a better job and has withstood some injuries to key players through the season since he's been there. He's also brought the best out of the players that other managers have failed to do that with. People like Joel Linton, people like Jacob Murphy, um, people like Miguel Almiron, uh, people like lord who else i mean there's so many fabian cher another another player who's john joe shelby john joe shelby markedly better since eddie howe has come in he's up the intensity in training um we're competing with teams um now around us like liverpool who we, we you know we were fortunate you may say to to come away um with just a one nil defeat uh last weekend but we had our opportunities we had our chances in that game and i just feel like every game that we go into the expectation there is that we will be looking to win it regardless of who it's against even if it's against some of the top teams and we'll play an open expansive attractive type of football during it how far we have come zach since the beginning of this season when we were owned by mike ashley and managed by Steve Bruce, what a different prospect and different club Newcastle is right now.
0: Yeah, I love it. I, I mean, I agree. I do. I think it'll happen. No, because I think that there's always this top four bias that exists in the uh, end of season awards. Uh, you know, unfortunately, but do I think he deserves it? Absolutely. Newcastle, you know, on. Pretty much uh, locked in to become the first club ever to go winless in their first fourteen matches and survive the Premier League season. And as as you mentioned, not only doing that by by surviving by the skin of our teeth, but potentially finishing in the top half. We're only a point behind Brighton in ninth with the same amount of matches played uh, and playing with this confidence that we haven't seen in years, let alone you know this year alone. So. I think he deserves it. I think that Newcastle, you know, uh, we have a (laughs) a player in Joe Linton who people are jokingly, not jokingly saying is maybe one of the best midfielders in the Premier League now. And just the utmost confidence on this team, uh, you're right, having lost Kieran Trippier right after his purchase in January, having lost Callum Wilson for virtually the entire season. Uh, And also, and this is a bit of a controversial opinion, but doing this with essentially not needing Alan St. Maximin to be the savior anymore. Uh, St. Maximin kind of not, I I would say at this moment in time, not even their top three most important players on Newcastle weekend and week out. And that is light years away from what we looked at earlier in the season, where if there was ever a hope, it was always going to come from him.
1: And that's just not the case anymore. Yeah. Another stat that I loved was, Uh, And I don't love how it all kind of played out, but Callum Wilson went down injured in December and hasn't played since right in the Premier League since then, 11 different Newcastle players have scored goals in the Premier League. That's a remarkable stat just in terms of the, the, the variety of different players that he's had come in and be effective and really contribute to the cause. This has been great. One, I'd love to see get a goal before the end of the season would be Dan Burn. Uh be great to see him mm. get on the score sheet finally. He's had a couple opportunities from from set pieces. Um but yeah just an incredible really that you know you take our number nine out and he's still our top scorer in the Premier League this season, <laughs> even though he's missed yeah. four plus plus months of it. Um we've been able to share the responsibility around and it truly shows the team ethic and team dynamic that Howes brought back to Newcastle. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely Hopeful manager of the season. That is the way there you that go. I look at that. He'll be my yeah. manager of the season, regardless if he's the EPLs. <laughs> I love you the most, Eddie. <laughs> In Eddie, we trust. All right, Eddie Zach. What, 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 what do you got for armchair pundits yourself this week, sir?
0: Yeah, so uh, somewhat of a kind of a, a a conclusion of a lot that we've talked about today. A culmination is a better way of putting it. Uh, I think that Liverpool wins the quadruple this year, Adam. I think that. Uh, And so, I guess, before I kind of defend that opinion, for for people who are a little unfamiliar with what that means, the quadruple uh, means that Liverpool would win all four major competitions uh, of which they are a part. Uh, They would win the Premier League, they would win the League Cup, they would win the FA Cup, and they would win the Champions League.
1: Despite the fact that you just predicted that Real Madrid would win the Champions League. Oh,
0: I'm seeing myself get caught here.
1: Okay, Gabby O'Gbon Lahore, you've uh, you've tripped yourself up.
0: Oh that's true. I did trip myself up. Shit. Okay. All right. I I've reneged. Liverpool wins the title <laughs> five four uh <laughs> in, in extra time with uh with <laughs> Nabi scoring a 30 yard rocket to win it. Um okay, you're right. I, I did I did trip myself up there, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to the armchair pundits. Uh I got caught up in the moment. I do think Liverpool wins the quadruple. I think that. Uh, Manchester City there's no way that they can play the rest of this season with kind of the same level of not intensity not focus because I think that'll always be there but confidence that um, they had prior to this match although the Champions League uh, is separate from the Premier League and Manchester City did just hold Liverpool to a a draw in the Premier League I think that Liverpool pips them for the title Uh, I think that City will stumble twice in a matter of weeks and somehow Manchester City will be left with nothing at the end of the Premier League season Uh, and then besides that Liverpool beating Real Madrid and Liverpool winning the FA Cup is how I see it happening I, I think Liverpool is the best team in the world right now
1: I mean yeah I mean they're they're certainly having a remarkable season so with that with that in mind that that would that would necessitate Manchester City to drop points in one of their remaining four games, they have Newcastle at home, Wolves away, Wolves who just lost three 0 at home to Brighton, West Ham away, and Villa at home. Where do you see them dropping points in those four games? Oh, that is a good
0: question. Sorry, let me. I know you just said it out loud. Let me look back at the.
1: Yeah, sorry. Can you repeat the matches that Manchester City has coming up? Yeah, of course. Newcastle home, Wolves away. West Ham away, Villa at home.
0: Wolves away, I think Wolves. I think Wolves got something there. Uh, they they lock it down and uh, hold Manchester City to a draw, despite the fact that Wolves have been pretty leaky recently. They've actually been one of the, the lesser form teams in the Premier League, having won only one of their last five matches. But uh, I mean, we saw Manchester City have issues away at Palace, a team that um, can can kind of lock down in similar ways to Wolves hmm. a team with a worse defense this season than Wolves, right? Wolves have a lot of 10 less goals than Palace yet. Uh, Manchester City unable to get a victory at Selhurst Park. So I think they, they drop points there. And I think Liverpool wins the remaining uh, four fixtures that they have.
1: All right. Well, we'll see how it plays out for better or worse. Palace seem to be um, Manchester City's bogey team. Uh, thankfully they don't have to play them in the remaining four games, but um, yeah, should be should be an interesting one. I think Manchester City—that's all they have to play for right now, right? They're not in any any more cups. This is this is really it for them. Four wins out of mm-hmm. four would do it.
0: Yeah, it, it would. Uh, and then the final thing is Liverpool would have to beat Crystal Palace in the final of the FA Cup, which should be a cracking match in
1: London. Chelsea,
0: Crystal Palace,
1: Chelsea in the final of the that uh, they played because they played um, Chelsea in the final of the Carabao Cup. And it's the same picture. Oh, fixture. that's a
0: friendly. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm so, tripping yeah. up all over the place, Adam. Yeah. Oh, my You're goodness. You're good.
1: You're good. No, it's um, it's actually a rematch of the Carabao Cup final um, again. And um, Crystal Palace actually lost to Chelsea in the semifinal of the FA Cup. To get that's knocked right. out of that stage.
0: That's right. Will Kappa or Ritz-Balaga have to take another penalty? We will see. Let's well, hope not, because that didn't go well for him last time. It did not. Uh, all right. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Cool. 10 to 90. Let's wrap it up after I've stumbled twice in my armchair pummel. That was a brutal one for me. Uh, Adam. Where do you want want to go first or second? Do you mind if I go first here? I do not. Go ahead. Okay. The reason that I'd like to is I do have a theme today, and that is quadruples in Europe.
1: Oh, wow. Okay.
0: Let's do it. All right. All right. Again, the quadruple is winning four major trophies: the two domestic trophies and the league and uh, Champions League, or what was formerly the UEFA Cup, in the same season. Adam, we're gonna we're gonna wind back the clock here because all five of my questions are about the first ever European quadruple winner. Question number one: Who do you think that was?
1: The most famous one that I remember was Manchester United. I'll predates that by quite a bit. Oh, it does? Okay. Um, then I don't think it was on the English side, so we will go with Real Madrid. It is a good guess. It is
0: actually Celtic. No, really? It is like, Celtic. And question number two, what start. year did this happen in?
1: Oh, Lord, I have no idea. Um, not in my lifetime, probably. Um, let's go 70s.
0: 72. I was thinking I'll give you six years either side and you just hit that. It happened in 1966-1967 season.
1: So okay. way back there in the you. day,
0: predating you. Yes, that is correct. Um well done Celtic. Well done, Celtic. Question number three, Adam. Of Celtic's 24 squad players that season, 24 squad players, how many of those men are were not Scottish? Not many. Let's go with two, three. Good guess. There were only three yeah. non-Scots on the quadruple-winning team for Celtic in 1966. And question number four, Adam, can you tell me the three countries of origin of those non-Scottish players? So each no. each player who is not non-Scottish was from a different country. Can you tell me uh, the three countries they're from? Uh,
1: I'd be I'd be content if you got two of these. Let's go with Ireland being one, because they are Celtic and they have a lot of Irish roots. Correct. I mean, England? Incorrect. No okay. Englishmen. OK. Um, then the other one I would go for, just by geographical nature, would be France.
0: No. No Frenchmen on the team either. Uh, the answers are Ireland, as you said. Northern Ireland, you were you were so close. Cheapy. All you had to go, oh, it was a little, a little farther north. And then Denmark was their, their one mainland European huh. player. Who was that? Do you know? Well, Adam, a good question because the fifth question I have is: Can you name <laughs> any player? On, can you name one player on the nineteen sixty six nope. Celtics side?
1: Nope, that's a that's a that's a hard pass. I cannot. Is is there any clue that you'd like to give me in in trying to? Help me no, out
0: there. no, because I don't recognize any of these people's names either. So I was, I was curious if you would, but
1: uh, no. Who are the international players? The international players.
0: Let's see, uh, a Jack Kennedy from Northern Ireland. Nope. Um, a Bent Martin from Denmark. It's a great name.
1: Wow.
0: Uh, Who is a goalkeeper? And then the Irish, a Charlie Gallagher. Charlie Gallagher.
1: Seems like a good generic Irish name there.
0: It is. And uh, yeah, according to Wikipedia, the main starting 11 based on uh, caps or appearances are all Scottish players. So who knows how much of those three non-Scottish players ever played. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe Gus would recognize one of these names. Uh, let's see, William McNeil. That's, he was, uh, Billy McNeil was the captain hmm. of the side. It seems like maybe the most notable, but yeah. I, don't, I don't recognize uh no defense a defender defender
1: who were who were the strikers on the team
0: oh uh willie wallace good name stevie chalmers and bobby lennox william wallace did you say william wallace william semple brown
1: wallace there you go yes they'll they'll take they'll take our um they'll take our scottish Premier leagues but they'll never take our european cups
0: exactly. That's what he would say before. every single match.
1: Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I, I had no idea the answer to that was Celtic. Very well played, sir. Good. Some good stats there. There you go. All right. I'm about thank to you, rock you. you with some stats. Um, I've been too kind to you recently. I've realized that Zach, um, I've been doing a lot of hypotheticals and I know you like those, and I know that you struggle with statistics. So here are five. Let's of get them. back to it. Let's get okay. back to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Six players. Have over a hundred Premier League appearances for Burnley. I need you to name four of those six players.
0: A hundred Premier League appearances for Burnley. Uh, James Tarkovsky? is one. Okay. Yeah. Ja- uh, Nick Pope. No. Nope. No.
1: Wow.
0: Um, Still fairly young. Yeah, but I feel like he's been on that team for 25 years. (laughs) Um, uh, 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 Ben Mee? Ben Mee is two.
1: Mm. Chris Wood? No. In fact, didn't reach 100 appearances for Burnley in the Premier League. He played for them in the lower league.
0: Oh, in the Championship, that's right. Dwight McNeil?
1: No. Who else would be on this list?
0: Um. Uh, uh. Uh. Um. Wait a minute. Give me a second. Give me a second here. Yeah. Oh, what is his name?
1: Ashley Barnes. Ashley Barnes is three. So okay. there are three other players. I need one of those players. Okay. Um, I will tell you that only one of them currently still plays for Burnley. Um, okay. One of them is Welsh. And the other one currently is a player on the Newcastle roster. Sam Vokes and is not named Chris Wood. (laughs) Sam Vokes. Sam Vokes is one. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's the Welshman, right? So correct. Wait, a Newcastle. Why am I taking so long on this? This should come pretty quickly. Um.
1: It's Not Chris Wood. It's a free transfer signing for us two summers ago. What? You've got the four, though. I'll give. I'll give you. I'll give you that you've got the four. Would you yeah. like a lifeline here, bit? or are you? Wait, give me like two seconds. Um, this is not doing you any favors in terms of me saying that you're a fake Newcastle fan. Sometimes. That is true.
0: Yeah. Why can't? Why can't I think of this? Matt Ritchie's been on the team. He was never on Burnley. He's been on the team for far longer than... Free,
1: free transfer, transfer signing under Steve Bruce two summers ago. Currently out on loan. Um, I want to say it's QPR that he's on loan to, but it's certainly a championship team. I think it's QPR. I have no idea. I think you might have just forgotten that this player plays for Newcastle. Yeah, that might be it. <laughs> Jeff Hendrick. I did 100 forgot <laughs> that Jeff Hendrick. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And yeah. then the last one was Jack Cork, um who actually scored it the. Weekend. I was,
0: I was, I was gonna say Jack Cork. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: That's so good. There you go. I'll give, I'll give you that one. You, you, you got the three unhelped, and uh, I think Sam Vokes was of the three was probably going to be the one that I thought you'd least get. So well done for that one. All right. Um, there are three Premier League Manager of the Month winners from these respective countries. I want you to tell me who the managers are. Um, ever israel In history and the only ever representatives from their respective countries that have won it. The three countries oh, okay. are Israel, Norway, which I think is probably the easiest, and Sweden. Norway's the most okay. recent of those three. I think we should be able yeah, to, yeah, yeah, nail that one on. Uh,
0: yes, uh, Ole.
1: Yep.
0: Is Norway at the wheel. That's Ole at the wheel. at the wheel. Um, Sweden. Uh, um. Oh. oh. God. Uh. Is it You're about to say it. I think.
1: <laughs>
0: oh wait, give me a second here.
1: Former England national team.
0: I, yeah, I, I That's like all I'm thinking about right now is that I I know that he met. It was in 2006 that he managed the English national team. It was at that, right? that World Cup. Ah, yeah. oh, God! Can you give me the first letter of his first name?
1: Uh, I think you already kind of started saying it. It's uh, S. S yeah. G E. Okay. His initials okay. S G E.
0: Um, I, I don't know maybe i'm just tired i like i see his face he kind of looks like ralph raniak
1: um, he's, the, he's the professor with the glasses yeah so uh the answer is Sven and erickson
0: yeah, yeah I, I i okay i was circling that one yes Sven goran erickson and then israel israel
1: yeah. talked a little bit about how gus would have loved the Scottish question around Celtic. Um, this is a Chelsea manager, um, Israeli manager.
0: Man, dude, I'm 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 having one of those times where I see I see the person, but I cannot think of the name. Um, shorter,
1: shorter, portly little dude. Can you give me his initials? I can. A G. It's not Adam Goff. A G. Uh, unfortunately.
0: Um, I don't know. I'm not gonna be able to pull this one out.
1: Avron Grant,
0: yeah. Oh God. Ah, oh. around the same time as Sven-Goran Eriksson, right? Yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. Um, question number three. These have been tough today. Um, there are, are three, fun, three like managers, this. three managers in Premier League history who have managed both Chelsea and Spurs. Who are they? Antonio Conte? Uh, yes. Um, correct. Sorry, there are four <laughs> managers. <laughs> I think my source here was prior <laughs> to Conte. You, you, you paused and I was like, how is that not one of them? <laughs> I'm like, that that definitely is one of them. Um, yes, yeah, so my, my source was a little bit premature here. So there are four managers who have managed okay. Chelsea and Spurs. Conte is absolutely one of them who are the other three <laughs> it's like,
0: what? uh jose Mourinho.
1: yep and then it gets a little obscure one of them is a lot older um kind of early 90s uh, late 90s early 2000s and then the other one is one that i'd completely forgotten about had managed both teams
0: roberto di mateo did he ever remember di
1: mm-hmm. he did not um I'll give you the initials and this should be super obvious once I do that. A V B. Okay.
0: <laughs> miss him. I miss that gorgeous man, Andre Diaz <laughs> Nice. Yeah.
1: And then the older one I think yeah. I struggle with a little bit. Um, but legend for legend for Spurs, especially. Glenn Hobble was the other one. Um oh, former okay. England manager as well. Yep. Sure. Sure. All right. Uh question number four. Five Spanish players have scored. 50 goals or more in the premier league name those five spanish players
0: five spanish players five spanish players have scored 50 goals or more in the premier league Mm -hmm. david silva
1: yep
0: fernando torres yep slow it down slow it down slow it down um diego costa correct three Mm -hmm. out of three so far a fake Spaniard sneaking <laughs> in there. Um, okay, this is where I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit. the Torres Costa. Give me a
1: second here. If you can get one of the other two, I'll, I'll I'll give you the point on this one. It's uh, yeah. neither of these players are strikers. If that helps.
0: Kind of somehow already knew that there have not been a ton of Spanish strikers in the Premier
1: League. That is true. Um, I had a brain fart earlier when I was like, Sergio Aguero, oh wait.
0: (laughs) Jerry Henry. (laughs) Um,
1: Aguero speaks Spanish, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Um, um, Spanish. Players in the Premier League. I'm trying to think teams. That's how I'm kind of sorting through this.
1: I'll give you a clue. All right. Okay. Both of these players have played for Chelsea. Everybody has played for Chelsea. Come
0: on now. Um. Both of these players, I mean, like Marcus Alonso, definitely doesn't have fifty goals.
1: Uh, both of these players have played for Chelsea. One of them still plays in the Premier League. One of them does not.
0: But he doesn't play for Chelsea, is what
1: I'm hearing. Correct.
0: Well plays in the Premier League. He's not a striker. He has a good amount of goals.
1: Can I have to push you here, Zach?
0: Yeah. Um, shit. who does he play for currently?
1: Manchester United. What? All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say your time has expired here. The answer yeah, that's the fair. Man, that's fair. Player Juan Mata. Juan
0: Mata, god damn it. That's another player that you can very easily forget is currently on his current team.
1: Um, yeah. okay, and the other. And the other one with exactly 50 goals, um, Arsenal and Chelsea legend, Cesc Fabregas.
0: Mm, good. Good. Yep. Arteta, yep. Arteta was going to be my only other guess, but I was like, there's no way Arteta had 50 goals.
1: True that, true that. All right. So final question That's for good. you. Um, five West Ham players have scored Premier League hat tricks during their career for West Ham. Oh,
0: wow. Um,
1: I am going to... I'm going to allow you to give me two of those five to be successful. All right. Uh, Mikel Antonio. Incorrect.
0: Uh, that's fair. Uh, Mark Noble. Incorrect. <laughs> yeah, that's also that's also fair. Um, five West Ham players have overscored a hat trick in the Prem. Um, Andrea Shevchenko. Incorrect. What the hell is it? Jesse Lingard.
1: <laughs> Incorrect.
0: <laughs> You're clutching at straws there. I'm throwing myself at the wind right now. Um, For the life of me, I remember really who has been a top goal scorer for West Ham.
1: two of these players are ex-newcastle players Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. les ferdinand
1: nope uh andy cole way more recent than both of those players Mm -hmm. um I'll, get, I'll give you another clue. <laughs> yeah. These two players are inextricably linked because one of them <laughs> was ordered to stay in the other person's house after some disciplinary problems at Newcastle. What?
0: I, I've never heard of this, actually. Uh, yeah. I don't
1: know. I have no idea. I'm drawing all blanks with West Ham right now. Andy Carroll was ordered to stay in Kevin Nolan, the club captain's house, Due really disciplinary action. Oh yeah.
0: I have yep. heard of that actually.
1: Yes, I do remember reading about that. Um there's two of your five. Yeah. Um yeah. Marlon Harewood was another one. Never heard that name before. And then we're getting kind of back into the kind of um West Ham legend days. Paul Kitson and Tony Cotti were the other two. But Kevin <laughs> Kevin yeah, Nolan you know, and Andy Carroll were the two that yeah, I, I was, was gonna remember. say the, the
0: only days. two I had a shot with are the two ex Newcastle. Good.
1: That was good. Yep. I should
0: have got I should have got Andy Carroll.
1: That's the yep. one. Andy I... Carroll, I thought you probably would get Kevin Nolan, obviously midfielder, so not necessarily yeah. somebody you'd associate with getting a hat trick per se. But yeah, there you go. Very good. I draw all right. those stats. There you go. Some good ones. Um okay. Uh final question for you then. As always, Zach. Please pronounce this Welsh word for me. Spelled S G L O D I O N. S G L O D I O N.
0: One more time. It's Sclodion. Ah, that's not not terrible. That's not not bad. That was one of my better ones, I felt confident about that. I thought (laughs) my pronunciation of fake Welsh was solid.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And the translation translates to um, what the Americans would call French fries and what we in the UK would call chips. All right. I I like that. All right. You had a pretty poor showing there in 10 and 90, Zach, but I'm going to give you a chance to redeem yourself because you seem pretty confident with our EPL trivia answer for the week. Again, listeners, as a reminder, which team has the record points haul ever in the championship? It happened in 2007. They gained a total of 106 points. They beat a record set in 1999 by the Maccams who previously held it with 105 points, and your final clue, Zach, is this team's home kit is blue and white in color. Oh, blue and white. Is it Bolton? It's not. Is it? two more guesses. Is it Brighton? It's not Brighton. <gasps> oh. Blue and
0: white in color. Colton Brighton is it
1: QPR. You're very, very close in the the, the blue and white hoops there. Um, But you went for the wrong blue and white hoops. The answer is Redding. Uh, Yeah, team included Kevin Doyle, ex Colorado Rapid and Shane Long. Um, Very, very good team really defensively shane exactly long stuff. yeah shane long right. was playing in 2007 he was very very young back then but yeah he was he was part of that wow. championship winning team that's crazy how old is shane long i, thought he, I think he's he, 35 I mean,
0: wow yeah yeah i did not realize he was that old that is wild
1: yeah so shane long good kind of vet, veteran striker there um yeah and Still to this day, they hold they hold that record. Newcastle, I think, got 104 points uh, in one of their seasons back. Um, they were third place there, behind Sunderland on 105 and Reading on 106. Yeah, interesting. Nice. Yep. All right. There you go. I enjoyed that. Um, outside bet. Um, before we close out the pod, um the championship season hasn't finished yet. But who who's your who's your pick for going up via the playoffs? Oh. Uh, let's see. Let me look at who is in
0: the in the playoff spots right now. Um. Oh
1: man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got um, Nottingham Forest who are in third place right I now. I would love for it to be them.
0: I would yep. love for it to be Nottingham Forest. I was very bummed that they lost that match against Bournemouth. Uh, that would have guaranteed them. Pretty much guaranteed them automatic promotion. It's I think twenty three years since Nottingham Forest was in the Premier League, so yeah, it's been a long time.
1: I used to live in Nottingham. I forget if I ever told you that before, but
0: yeah, you have mentioned that before.
1: You have mentioned. I grew up as a kid, a kid, a few years. My my parents lived in Nottingham. There. Yeah, there you go. Tricky trees. So you'll take you'll take Forest. We've got Huddersfield, Sheffield United, Luton in the remaining playoff spots, and then we've got Middlesbrough and Millwall with an outside chance of making it in the final game. I'm going for Luton, Zach. Why not? They got pumped seven 0 by Fulham during uh, during the week. Uh, but you know they're going to come back from that. Fulham are a great team, and Luton are going to be playing in the Premier League next season. Teams will be going to the Kennel for their um, for their away games next season.
0: I love that. I love that. If if only for for the storyline.
1: Yeah, it'll be a be a fun one. All right, my friend. Well, um, this has been a fun one. Uh, it's good to get back together. I know that we haven't had too many episodes recently together, but it's been it's been fun. It has
0: indeed. It has indeed. We'll be back in a couple of weeks for what'll probably be the penultimate part of the the season. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see what transpires before then.
1: Indeed. Yep. Until next time, my friend. Until next time. Forty. Peace.